0: Let's take a look at this thing, this Corona uh, uh, virus that's going on in China that's coming out of China. And I haven't talked about it much because you never know how much of this is being overemphasized and you just they just aren't enough facts. And one of the reasons there aren't, aren't enough facts is because the Chinese lie. Right now, and this is coming from the New York Times, a former newspaper, so you know, obviously no enemy of communism uh, half of, this is half of China's population. Half of China's population is facing new travel restrictions. What are there? A gazillion people in China. So half of them are facing new travels. Restrictions. Across China, officials have imposed controls of various kinds on people's movements, hoping that minimizing contact will prevent the virus from circulating further. To gauge the scale and breadth of these policies, the New York Times examined dozens of local government announcements and reports from state run news outlets. The Times analysis found that at least 150 million people in China, over 10% of the country's population, are facing government restrictions about how often they can leave their homes. 150 million people are being told how they can leave their homes. Tom Cotton, uh, Senator Tom Cotton, who has been on this uh, very carefully, he says that the situation is much worse than uh, China is letting on. This is the first cut, five.
1: The situation is very grave, in part because, as you say, China was lying from the beginning, and they're still lying today, and also because there are so many unknowns about this virus. For example, how many people one person can infect once they have the virus, the extent to which it's contagious before one is symptomatic, or the mortality rate. That's why I've been saying for almost a month now that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, to quote Benjamin Franklin, and why the president was so smart to ban travel coming from China Um, just a couple weeks ago, so we didn't have more than 20,000 people landing in our country every single day from mainland China.
0: All right. So we're going to get back to that. Right. He's banned travel and that and Cotton saying that is a good thing. And this stuff is happening over there. Like um, uh, one doctor who was the guy who actually broke through the news embargo in China and told, told people about this virus. He has died apparently from the virus. Another doctor who is treating people has died from the virus. And Cotton is saying the original story was that because China has these open food markets, the virus got into these food markets and then went out and spread through these food markets, and Tom Cotton says that's not what happened.
1: Here's what we do know. This virus did not originate in the Wuhan animal market. Epidemiologists who are widely respected, from China who have published a study in the international journal The Lancet have demonstrated that several of the original cases did not have any contact with that food market. The virus went into that food market before it came out of that food market. So we don't know where it originated, but we do know that we have to get to the bottom of that. We also know that just a few miles away from that food market is China's only biosafety level four super laboratory that researches human infectious diseases. Now, we don't have evidence at this. at disease originated there but because of China's duplicity and dishonesty from the beginning we need to at least ask the question to see what the evidence says. And China right now is not giving any evidence on that question at all.
0: Okay. So that's like a stranger things kind of Stephen King thing where there's this, this lab nearby where the near the market, where this thing started. And he's not, it's a lab where they study probably so they can kill us. They study viruses. He's not saying that that's where it originated. He's saying there's a chance and we don't know because there's no information coming out because the Chinese control the press, the leftist press. Now I want you to listen. First of all, the Washington Post, where democracy dies by taking thousands of dollars from the China Daily to run news stories that are Chinese propaganda in the Washington Post that look like post stories, even though they are marked as advertisement. And the China Daily has, has been accused of not reporting this. You have to report this stuff to the federal government and they haven't been doing this. But the Washington Post gets a lot of money from Chinese advertisements. So the Washington Post, where democracy dies in darkness at the Washington Post, right, attacks Tom Cotton and says he's spreading this conspiracy conspiracy theory, which you just heard what he said. He's not spreading the theory. He's saying, we don't know, but this is something that's also possible. They call, and they keep calling it throughout the story. They keep calling it debunked. It's a debunked story. It ain't debunked. Here is the Chinese ambassador, Kui Tiang Kai, responding to Tom Cotton. You listen and you tell me whether he debunks this story.
2: It's very harmful. It's very dangerous to stir up suspicion, rumors, and spread them among the people. For one thing, this will create panic. Another thing is that it will fend up racial discrimination, xenophobia, all these things that will really harm our joint efforts to combat the virus. Of course, there are all kinds of speculations and rumors. There are people who are saying that these viruses are coming from some military lab, not of China, maybe in the United States. How can we believe all these crazy things?
0: (laughs) If that doesn't sound like... A Democrat to you, I don't know what does. We can't say these things because of the the effect it's going to have on the people, not because they're untrue. And remember, again, Cotton didn't say this was the truth. He said this is one of the things he's looking at. We can't say these things. Oh, you're a bigot. You're bigoted against Asian people. And and oh, yeah, maybe it's really a laboratory in the United States that's doing all all this. I mean, it is classic left-wing propagandizing. And then the Washington Post steps up. After taking thousands of dollars from China Daily to run ads that look like news stories in their paper, the Washington Post steps up and says, oh, well, it's debunked. It's debunked. Before you go, one last thing. Hit the subscribe button so that you stay up to date on all our content.
3: The number of COVID-19 coronavirus cases outside of China continue their exponential growth. A lot of new cases to cover with you today. And it looks like the second time might be worse. We've got some science behind that now. Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Martinson. This is your COVID-19 update for February 19th, 2020. All right. Science time. I love this time. We've got some great science to report here. And this is about the possibility that the second infection under certain circumstances, which I'll tell you about in a second, could be far more deadly uh, for this coronavirus than the initial infection was. So here's something that we know, and a lot of you have pointed this out, and thank you for getting me on the trail of this, and I've been hunting it down. And so um, this uh, dengue fever, dengue fever here, they solved a mystery, why the second infection is worse than the first. And this is just fascinating. For decades, there's been a counterintuitive, hotly debated theory about dengue fever infections that antibodies generated by a previous bout of dengue could actually put a person at risk of more severe disease if they contracted the virus a second time, and that's actually a well-known fact. If you if you have the fever, doctors will tell you don't get it again because um, it's not good. And now, American and Nicaraguan scientists have published. Evidence that may silence the skeptics' antibody dependent enhancement, or ADE, as it's known in scientific circles. Antibody dependent enhancement. That's enhancement of the disease, not enhancement of uh, how good do you look or anything awesome. Uh, Can happen, they reported, when subsequent infection occurs at a time when antibodies generated by the prior infection have fallen to a specific low range. So when you first get uh, exposed to a disease, your body mounts a defense, create all these antibodies. Your antibody titer, is the titer is a measure of how many of those antibodies you have circulating around in your, in your blood as a, um, uh, as a percentage of it, uh, or just in total proportion. So that's your first defense, but over time, your body sort of relaxes a little, and those antibodies are cleared away, and your body still will remember that disease, but your antibody titer is falling over time. It has that initial high burst, but it just declines over time. And when it gets down to a specific low level, when it's low enough, well, then something happens. So continuing on with this article, this is fascinating. This is is why it takes so long to figure something like this out and unravel. Look at – I mean, just look at – this is astonishing what they did. In the study, researchers followed a cohort of nearly 6,700 children between the ages of 2 to 14 – They monitored them for 12 years and continue to follow them, drawing blood for testing every year. And any time one of the children developed an illness with fever, which is a hallmark symptom of dengue infection, they were assessed medically. Senior author Eva Harris, a professor of infectious diseases and immunology at the University of California, Berkeley, said the team analyzed more than 41,000 blood samples they'd accumulated over the years looking for a pattern that could explain why some children develop severe disease, dengue hemorrhagic fever, or dengue shock syndrome, on their second dengue infection. They used three different statistical approaches to explode, and all roads led to Rome, they said. Um, Amazingly, not only do we find that there is a specific titer of antibody, that's a specific level of antibody that is predictive of severe disease, but all three methods came to the exact same range of titers. So you get exposed to this thing, your body mounts a defense, it creates a whole host of antibodies, that's fine, but when they decline to a certain level, if you get the disease again, something bad happens. All right, now, so on that trail, I said, well, how does that have anything to do with this, with the coronavirus? Is the second coronavirus exposure worse? Well, um here we have something that uh managed to dig up it comes back from 11 december 2019 this gives us some clues here i think here's the uh that's the uh url link for it if you want to find this yourself this is uh in the journal of virology um so this was accepted so this is actually a peer-reviewed manuscript so uh good to go i guess the molecular mechanism for this ADE, Antibody Dependent Enhancement of Coronavirus Entry. So we've got people from St. Paul, from Beijing, um, and even from Wuhan. Uh, these are all authors contributing to this and uh, the Kimball Research Institute in New York. So uh, looks like pretty good institutions. Here's what they came up with. <clears throat> all right, you ready? Here comes the science. This is from their introduction. Antibody Dependent Enhancement Occurs When Antibodies Facilitate viral entry into host cells and enhance viral infection of those cells. So the circulating antibodies actually help the virus get into the cells. That's the virus's biggest problem always, is how does it get into the cell? You could have all kinds of viruses circulating in your blood, but if they can't get into the cells, then they can't replicate, they can't cause any damage, they can't do what they do. So it's always a key as to how they can get into the cells, and normally the antibody would block them from getting into the cells. So you know that this COVID-19 has affinity for the ACE2 receptor, a transmembrane receptor. It binds onto that receptor. The receptor is full, uh, and then the cell goes, oh, I better recycle that. It absorbs that um, virus and the receptor who are bound together, pulls it in inside the the cell, and uh, that's where the trouble begins. So ADE has been observed for a variety of viruses, most notably in flaviviruses, right? That's the dengue virus here. And it has been shown that when patients are infected by one serotype of dengue virus, um, so that's the primary infection, so there's there's different forms of it out there. Um, and a serotype would be a, a form. They produce neutralizing antibodies, which is awesome, targeting the same serotype of the virus. So that's great. However, if they are later infected by another serotype of the dengue virus, i.e., a secondary infection, the pre existing antibodies cannot fully neutralize the virus so they're kind of tuned for it but not perfect so they kind of work but they're kind of incomplete so if it's 100 percent on the primary serotype the secondary let's say it's like 80 percent good or something like that it's, it's not it's not they're not fully neutralizing that virus instead the antibodies first bind to the virus and then they bind to these immunoglobulin there's a type of um, antibody And these FC receptors on immune cells. So this is the FC receptor over here. This is an antibody. It's got that Y shape. This is the pathogen. uh, Might be a virus particle. Um, It's all bound up with this antibody. But then it binds to this receptor here on this effector cell, which is an immune cell. And it gets internalized. And so the antibody actually becomes the path by which this pathogen gets inside the cells. And it mediates viral entry into those cells Similar mechanism has been observed for HIV and Ebola virus. Thus, sub-neutralizing antibodies or non-neutralizing antibodies in some cases are responsible for ADE of these viruses. So again, that's the antibody-dependent enhancement of these viruses. Given the critical roles of antibodies in host immunity, ADE causes serious concerns in epidemiology, vaccine design, and antibody-based drug therapy so we're going to wonder about those people who got the plasma treatment because they got the antibodies Um, and we're going to wonder about people who've survived this and because they've got the circulating antibodies and maybe they're all uh, good now because they've got high titers right now but in a year if this thing comes back around and their antibodies have fallen off could this be a mechanism all right we're going to check this out. This study reveals a novel mechanism for ADE where fully neutralizing antibodies, fully neutralizing antibodies, mimic the function of viral receptor and mediating viral entry into these FC receptor expressing cells, so into the immune cells. So this is this is starting to get at what the possible pathway might be. Um, first, they go on to note that ADE has already been observed for coronaviruses. Several studies have shown that serra produced by SARS spike enhance viral entry into FC receptor expressing cells so they've already seen this at least in the lab further one study demonstrated that unlike receptor dependent viral entry so that's the normal one that's the receptor dependent viral entry that's where the the COVID is binding to the receptor which in this case is the ACE2 receptor so that unlike that though sera dependent SARS-CoV-entry does not go through the endosome pathway so it's not going through that thing where it gets internalized into the into the cell and taken in it's going in through a whole other way so what they're saying here is that when you first get exposed to SARS or to MERS or to COVID it's coming into your body through one pathway but that once you have antibodies in there whether they are um uh fully uh you know fully ex- uh, it's um, whether they're the full ones or the partial ones, or fully immunizing, doesn't matter. It's coming in now through a different pathway. So, additionally, it's long been known that immunization of cats with feline coronavirus spike leads to worsened future infection due to the induction of infection-enhancing antibodies. So, we have animal models for this. We know we know this at this point. All right. So they went through this huge thing. I read through it all. It's 44 pages. It got a little technical, a little science-y. Um Looked good. Um, pretty interesting study. Here's what – here's the punchlines around this. ADE of viral entry has been observed and studied extensively in the flaviviruses, viruses, particularly Deng. Um, and hold on here for a second. Yeah. So uh, – because we already saw that before um, – These antibodies cannot completely neutralize secondary viral infections, but instead guide virus particles to enter FC receptor-expressing cells. So those are your immune cells. ADE can lead to worsened symptoms in secondary viral infections, causing major concerns for epidemiology. ADE is also a major concern for vaccine design and antibody-based drugs therapy, since antibodies generated or used in these procedures may lead to this ADE. Um, ADE has been observed in coronavirus for decades, but the molecular mechanisms are unknown. And um, now they have a a model for this and a path for this. So it it really looks like uh, this is going to bear a lot more study. But again, these things take time. So for all those people are saying, oh, we'll just, you know, we'll we'll have a a vaccine in a month. You know, these scientists have already discovered a vaccine. They just have to test it in animals. This is saying that it could be a lot more complicated than that, and that's why science is not just, uh, you know, particularly something as complex as immunizations vaccine. This isn't something that you just up and do, uh, go out and and run out and do. There's very complex things happening here, but I found this fascinating that – it explains at least what is happening when you when that secondary infection comes along, and the problem is is that the secondary infection comes in through a completely different pathway. It comes into those immune cells, particularly the ones that go haywire and go bonkers, um, and create the cytokine storm and do all of that. So, uh, in the case of the dengue fever, you know they're coming in and, and hitting those white blood cells, and then you end up with this hemorrhagic fever because hemorrhagic is uh, where the people are bleeding because it's hitting the uh, arteries and veins and and the endothelial linings of those particular um, blood vessels. So that's pretty fascinating. And at least it's starting to give us an understanding of how complex this is and uh, what the circumstances are where we might see a secondary infection could be just as bad. So couple things we're going to have to add now to our big list of not the flus and not SARS, but this is a little bit like SARS, of course, um, in how it it behaves in this piece down here. here. So, but way up here, uh, much more deadly than flu, for sure. We can say 20X, unless your hospital's overrun, then 50X. Uh, Those are some numbers that I'm I'm reasonably comfortable putting out here right now. Secondary exposure is far worse. I questioned the number of days ago. Now in yellow, we're going to put in antibody-dependent enhancement aid, The ADE pathway identified in MERS, and by the way, all that data came from uh, studying MERS, uh, might be just the same in this coronavirus. We don't know. We'll have to find out. But that enormously complicates vaccine development. And in particular, the thing that we need to to note here is one of the reasons I don't think that we saw a lot of those secondary infections in MERS is because MERS, that Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, that had an animal a host that it was coming out of thought to be camels but there was a host reservoir for that so when people were getting ill the very low human to human transmission around that uh, it, it was um, uh, very you know didn't have a lot of secondary infections coming around so not that many people infected all a lot of them died on a percentage basis but not that many people infected so I don't know that we got any data about secondary infections coming around the world for a, a second pass same thing for SARS uh, very deadly disease only, uh, transmissive when it was symptomatic. So all those cases got basically shut down. I think it was like 8,000 cases in the world. And then, um, you know, we had, uh, 800 deaths off of that. So again, very deadly, but we didn't get to see a secondary infection wave off of that. We're going to see that with this one because so many people are getting it. So many people are getting mild, getting this mildly. It's got such a high R naught, tons of human to human transmission. So with this, uh, With COVID-19, we are going to see some of those secondary infections, and it'll be um, something to watch if people with low antibody titers are now experiencing significantly worse outcomes as a consequence of that. There's some science behind that. Maybe MERS is totally different from COVID-19. We don't know. That's science. The MERS data shows uh, and suggests that a second exposure to COVID-19 with a suitably low antibody titer, got to put that caveat in there, could be Far worse than the first exposure. We're gonna have to watch that. That is a very serious risk, I think, at this point in time. And uh, we will be seeing secondary infections with this after it goes around the world once, and people will have a uh, be re-experiencing this again, possibly with a secondary sera type, meaning that after this thing goes around the world, it could well have mutated to the point that it then mimics uh, deng in the f- sense that you've you've got antibodies against one type, but Maybe another type is the one you're re-exposed to in a year or somewhere down the line. And with that, thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.
2: Hang on to your hats, everybody. Here we go. Public health officials in the U.S. are striving to keep tabs on thousands of Americans that are quarantining themselves at home after returning from mainland China in an effort to curtail the transmission of the virus, adding to a response that is straining already stretched local departments. More than 5,400 people have been asked to self-quarantine in California alone as of the 14th of February, according to the California Department of Public Health. Hundreds more are self-quarantining in Georgia, Washington State, Illinois, New York, and other states. Health officials are following directions from the CDC and the State Department, but many steps are being developed on the fly. States are utilizing a variety of techniques to track people, from calling in volunteers to make phone calls, to sending text messages and using electronic registries. These people self-isolating are separate from the US nationals that are under a real quarantine including those housed at four U.S. air bases and the 328 that were recently evacuated from the Diamond Princess cruise ship, more commonly known as the virus mill. The CDC, local, and state health officials, for some reason, believe that the thousands of people that are self-isolating are at a lower risk of having been exposed to the virus. Officials continue to claim that the immediate risk to the general public is still low, but they're working on rectifying that. Listen to the following insanity. An attempt to monitor and quarantine people at this scale is a unique challenge. Quarantines typically apply only to those with a known exposure rather than just travel history. A coalition of staffers, employees from other departments, healthcare providers, and federal officials are engaged in a classic outbreak response to monitor people, such as family and healthcare workers who came into close contact with two local cases. And now the department has added tracking recent arrivals from China to their to-do list. <laughs> We're still in the middle of figuring out these operations, said Dr. Cody. Although travel from mainland China has been sharply curtailed, Americans continue to arrive into 11 airports designated by federal officials, and health authorities are on the lookout for passengers who are coming from other countries but were also recently in China. L.A. County, for instance, is adding dozens of returning travelers to its monitoring list daily. Those that aren't exhibiting symptoms who haven't been to the hot zone are allowed to go on to their final destinations, but they're asked to stay at home for up to 14 days to monitor their health and check in with their local health departments and contact their health care providers if they develop symptoms. They're asked to avoid close contact with others, typically defined as being within six feet of another person for a prolonged period. Sometimes those that are in self-isolation are told that they can go outside and exercise if nobody's around, or even to the grocery store. Yeah, you heard that right. The orders aren't binding, but local health officials can issue stricter quarantine orders if necessary. So far, most people have been cooperative. Yeah, most of them. Sometimes local officials receive incorrect or illegible phone numbers for some, or just missing data for others, and then they have to circle back to federal authorities for more information to track them down. Other health departments phone or email initially, and then sometimes follow up in a few days or a week. There you have it. Like, share, and subscribe. Thanks. For Headlines with a Voice, this is Nancy Morgan Hart. A woman in Wuhan risks everything to get a message out to her fellow citizens and the world. She says, only normal citizens are suffering. The government doesn't care about us. We can't buy medicine with money. We can't go to the hospital with money. And in Hong Kong, I support your independence. I also support Taiwan's independence, Tibet and Hong Kong. I support your independence not a single person can speak freely. If anyone speaks about the truth, they're detained. If they decide it's 10 years or 20 years, then it's already decided. Even lawyers are useless. I'm going to tell you something. One person's sacrifice, two people's sacrifice, is a sacrifice that's necessary for a revolution. I will make a sacrifice for my parents, for my family, for our free lives. I know it's dangerous for me to speak out, but I can't take it anymore. I cannot. No beds, no medicine, all the news from the TV is a lie. In this evil society, I can no longer keep my mouth shut. No one is willing to speak out. I am going to stand up and make a voice. We really have to resist, my fellow citizens. I can't live like this anymore. A link to her video is provided in the production notes below this video. For Headlines with a Voice, this is Nancy Morgan Hart.